So if you're a father, you've probably heard that word, almost a phrase before of dad. You know, sometimes it can be kind of annoying, but it's also quite endearing. Now, the end of that video said, no matter the moment, you were always there for me. I'm so proud to call you dad. Now, if that has been your experience with your father, a father who is always there for you, that is certainly a reason to be very thankful. Yet at the same time, there are many people who have not had that, that type of experience with their father who cannot say, you were always there for me. You know, many fathers are absent from the lives of their children. Here in America, one in four children grows up without a father figure in the home. And sometimes even when the father is physically present, that's still not that good of a thing. Many fathers, unfortunately, are emotionally distant from their children, rarely affirming them, rarely verbalizing to their children, I love you. And many children, unfortunately, experience abuse at the hands of their fathers. And on this Father's Day, there are many, perhaps even some of you here, who miss your fathers because they have passed away. So today I want to focus us on a father who is always there. A father who is always there, and that is our heavenly father. Now one of the things about us humans is that we tend to project our experience with our earthly father onto God. Therefore, our earthly father was kind and loving and always there for us then we will tend to think that God is going to be loving and kind and always there for us. But the opposite is true as well. That if your earthly father was harsh or absent or just kind of mean-spirited toward you, it's easy to project those same type of traits onto God. And that is why it's so important for us to look not to our earthly experiences for interpreting what God is like, but instead to look to the Bible. See how the Bible defines God. Now today we're going to look in the Bible to one verse. It's 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. So if you have a Bible and you're following along, I invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 3. If you uh, don't have a Bible with you this morning but would like to follow along, we do have extra Bibles back in the back uh, by the door into the sanctuary. And an exciting announcement I want to share is that in a couple of weeks, we're going to be getting new Bibles for all of our pews to make it easier for those who want to follow along who don't bring a Bible with them on Sunday mornings. So that's an exciting thing to look forward to in a couple of weeks. Now starting next week, we're going to have a new series on Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is sometimes known as the Hall of Faith. And it's called that because it's kind of like a Hall of Fame of men and women who exercise great faith in God. We're going to be walking through Hebrews 11 for the rest of the summer. Now, one of the things about Hebrews 11 is not only does it contain people who had great faith, but it contains people who were very human. And they had lots of flaws in their life. But to me, that's actually kind of helpful and encouraging because it helps us relate to them even as they sought to trust God. And the series will be called Living by Faith. So that will start next week. But today we're just taking one week to focus on God the Father. I invite you to follow along with me as I read 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So we're going to walk through this, this verse together this morning. Now, starting out at the beginning, it's easy to skim over, right? Skim over that first word that says, 
see. But that is an important word. It's kind of like someone's grabbing us by the arm, trying to get our attention and say, hey, look, pay attention to this. This is important. Don't miss this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. So the Apostle John is calling attention to the Father's love. He calls it a great love. And that word great points us to the magnificence of God's love. That God's love is not stingy and it's not conditional. It is a great love. And he says that God has lavished that great love on us. He gives it generously, even sacrificially. So this all shows us that we have an incredibly loving Father. Regardless of what your earthly father is like, we can have a heavenly Father whose love is great and lavish. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Now the greatest expression of God's love is giving Jesus. We see this actually clearly explained in the same letter, 1 John chapter 4. Just a few verses later, 1 John 4 verses 9 and 10 say, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So this helps us to understand that God's love is not just some happy-go-lucky feeling. It's not some warm, fuzzy type of feeling. It's actually very Christ-centered. It's a very sacrificial love that was demonstrated concretely in history by sending his son Jesus into this world to die on the cross to pay the death penalty we deserve for our sins. That is God's ultimate demonstration of love. So we have an incredibly loving Father. So one of the things I just pointed out, though, is that Jesus was the one who opened the door for us to relate to God as Father. I mean, most certainly through his death and his resurrection, he opened that door, paying our death penalty we deserve for our sins. That's why Jesus can say in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's through Jesus' death and resurrection and trusting in him that we have access to the Father. But there are several other layers of Jesus opening the door for us relating to God as Father as well. For instance, back in the ancient Jewish culture, which Jesus was a Jew, Jesus instituted a, a massive paradigm shift for how people relate to God. Because in that culture, the titles that people used for God were titles that were exalted. Things like Sovereign Lord and Almighty God. These titles referred to God's transcendence. And then Jesus came along and began referring to God as his own father. And the Jews didn't like that at all to them. This was blasphemy. They were like, how dare you call God your father? Because to them, that, got, that brought God too low and elevated Jesus too high. Yet that's what he was doing. He was referring to God as his father. And then there was this really unique and special event at Jesus' baptism that just backed that up. As soon as Jesus was coming out of the water, as he was being baptized, a voice came from heaven, the voice of God the Father, who said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So in that statement, God the Father was affirming to everyone there, 
his love for his son. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And for those of us who are fathers, just a little side note, I think this is a great model for us. Just to be intentional in affirming our love and our affirmation for our children, whatever their age. I mean, Jesus was in the range of 30 years old at that point. No matter how old a person is, it is so valuable to hear and to receive the love and affirmation of their father. So that is another angle of how we see Jesus relating to God as father. And not only did Jesus relate to God as father, he invites us to come to God as father as well. And one of the clearest examples of this is the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9, where Jesus teaches us to pray like this, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus teaches us as his followers to come to God as Father. I mean, what an amazing privilege that is. 1 John 3, 1 again. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, John says. I love how he tags on that last sentence. That is what we are. To me, it's almost as if John just can't get over how amazing that is. He's like, whoa, can you believe it? We get the privilege of being God's children. I want to list out three privileges that being God's child can give to us. The first privilege is that being God's children gives us confident access to God's intimate presence. Confident access to God's, uh, God's intimate presence. I want to show you on this Father's Day a picture of me with my dad. This was taken a few years ago. We did not plan to wear the same type of clothing together. Um, this was uh, Sunday morning after we'd been at church here at Freedens. But, but that's kind of how we are. We look similar. We have very similar personalities. You've heard that phrase, like father, like son. That's kind of like my dad and I. I'm very thankful and feel very blessed to have him as a dad. Now, my dad, before retirement, was a dentist. Now, in his retirement, he's not really fully retired because now he's pastoring a church. But for most of his life, he has been a dentist. That's largely how I remember him, how I experienced him as I was growing up being a dentist. And I spent a lot of time in my dad's dental office. And I imagine that you know what it's like going into a dental office. That you go in, you go in the main door, and you go into the waiting room, and you speak to the receptionist, and then you have a seat in the waiting room for a little while, and then you're called to the back, and then it's actually still usually a little while until you actually see the dentist. For me, though, going to the dental office was a very different experience than that. Because for me, I went in the door, I bypassed the waiting room, I bypassed the receptionist, I headed straight back to the dentist's personal office. If the dentist was in the office, he would greet me warmly. And if he wasn't in his office, I would plop right down in his chair. I would just make myself at home. But no one raised an eyebrow at that. Why? Because I was the dentist's son. Being a son, or if you're a woman, being a daughter, makes all the difference in the world, welcoming you, welcoming you into your father's intimate presence. And just as I had that type of access in the dental office, we have that same type of access with God, being welcomed into God's intimate presence. Let me share with you one passage from Scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 22, that gives us a picture of this. It's using imagery, not of a dental office, but of the Jewish temple. And let me read this, and I'll explain it in a moment. 
It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that's, that's part of the temple, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. This is talking about confidence coming into God's presence. The most holy place was a section of the temple that was seen as the most intimate presence of God. It was so intimate in there that only one priest could go in there and that only once a year. So other priests and ordinary people like you and I would have no chance to go into that most holy place and that most intimate presence of God. But the author of Hebrews is saying here in Hebrews 10 that through faith in Jesus, we all have access to that most holy place. We all have access to the intimate presence of God. And it's not a timid access. It is a confident access. He says, it says, draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. We have confidence, he says, to enter that most holy place through the blood of Christ. Just like I had confidence to enter my dad's personal office, we have confidence to come before the intimate presence of God when we are his children. I mean, what an amazing privilege that is. Now, another privilege we have as God's children is that being God's children gives us a wonderful and meaningful identity. Now, identity is all about the question, who am I? Who am I? Now, most people will define themselves in that question of who am I by what they do. They may say or they may think, you know, I am a student. I am an athlete. I am a teacher, a manager, a mom, a dad. Some people define themselves on the who am I question based on their successes. Other people will define themselves based on their failures. Many people will define that sense of who am I based on how other people think about them. And one commonality in all these ways that people commonly define themselves, define their identity, is that they are looking horizontally at things in creation to define that question of who am I. But God invites us to have a different type of identity, a vertically based identity. It's based not on what other people think of us and what we experience here in this world. God invites us to experience a vertical identity based on what he thinks of us and how we relate to him. Who am I? I am a child of God. I am valued by God. I am loved by God. Again, 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So who are we? our faith is in Jesus, we are children of God. John says, that is what you are. And that gives a meaningful, rich, impactful, and wonderful identity that nothing in this world, no successes and no failures, and no opinions of others can ever take that away. If your faith is in Christ, you are a child of God, and that can be your core identity. You know, practically everyone deals with at least some degree of insecurity. And insecurity is really rooted in fear. Fear especially of what others will think. 
Now, in that same letter that we're talking about, 1 John, in chapter 4, verse 18, John says that perfect love casts out fear. Now, who has perfect love? God the Father. He loves us with a perfect love. And that can begin to cast out the fear that's in our lives that drives that insecurity. And so that as we rest more and more in the identity that we have as God's sons and God's daughters, that frees us from fear and frees us from the need to be insecure and still, instead gives us more and more confidence. Why? Not in ourselves, but in who God says we are, that we are sons and daughters of God. Now, this should not make us conceited or arrogant or entitled or holier than thou. Instead, it should humble us. But it should be a confident humility, a healthy humility. It's a humility that recognizes we do not deserve being God's children. We don't deserve that at all. Instead, we deserve the opposite. But by God's grace, we have the, the opportunity to be adopted into God's family. Now, one other privilege I want to point out of being God's children is that being God's children gives us confidence that we are never alone. That we're never alone. I think back to my uh, last two years of college. I moved from Missouri, where I grew up, up to Minnesota, eight hours away from my home. And I moved up there for a specific program that this college had. But I didn't know anyone in the entire state. But I moved into an off-campus apartment at first, living by myself. My parents helped me move in. Then they went back home, and I still had a couple days till classes started. And I felt so alone. I remember on Saturday night, sitting at my kitchen table, and I had tears rolling down my cheeks. If you know me, you know that's a big deal when Brandon has tears on his cheeks. But that's how alone I felt, wondering, what did I do? Why did I make this decision to come up here? I just felt so alone. But then I remember, you know, God is the same in Minnesota as he was in Missouri. And that became a turning point for me to realize, you know, God is right here with me right now. And that gave me a confidence, a hope, an assurance, a peace that I didn't have before. We have that promise as God's children that he is always with us, that we are never alone. And sometimes, even when you're around familiar people in familiar places, you still feel alone. But we have that promise that God will never leave us and never forsake us, that he is never present help in times of trouble. And so what an amazing reality this is, that being God's children gives us the confidence that we are never alone. No matter how good our earthly father is, our earthly father can never say to us that he will never not... Let me change the syntax of that sentence. There will be times when our earthly father will not be there for us. It's just the reality. It's the reality of being finite human beings. It's the reality of being mortal. But there is the reality as well that God the Father will never leave us and never forsake us. 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, Cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. I mean, what an amazing privilege that is. That whenever we're anxious, we can turn to him. Cast our anxieties on him. And so for me, down through the years, it has become a default for me that when I get anxious about something, that I turn to God in prayer. Especially my prayer journal where I just write out prayers like in letter form to God. It's amazing how much peace and reassurance that can give me. 
when I may be going through a challenge or may be anxious or may be feeling alone. You know, God is always there. And he will always be there even when we sin. You know, there are some earthly fathers who just fly into a rage when their children mess up. But God the Father says, no, I want to forgive you. I want to reconcile that relationship with you. 1 John 1.9, the same letter, 1 John 1.9, says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Even when we sin, even when we feel lonely, we are never alone. I want to talk about one other aspect of being God's children. It is that we become God's children through faith in Christ. There is a misconception I've heard many, many times down through the years when people say, you know, everyone is a child of God. Everyone's a child of God. Now, on one hand, from one angle, there is truth in that statement. And that's from the angle that God is the creator of everything. So in essence, everyone is ultimately created by God. But there is also a sense, a more important sense even, that not everyone is a child of God. That in order to become a child of God, there, there is a, a, basically a becoming process. John chapter 1, verse 12. So this is the same author. The first John is a letter. The, the book of John that I'm going to quote from now is a biography of Jesus. John 1, 12. See, it says, Yet to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So that word become is key. What it points to is a transition that at one point someone was not a child of God and then they become a child of God. There's a transition that takes place there. And what that points to is the fact that in and of ourselves, in our sin, that we are naturally alienated from God. In essence, in our natural state, we are spiritual orphans. And we can become children of God by being adopted into his family. And it says, to anyone who received him, to those who believed in his name. And that points to the process uh, from our end of becoming a child of God. It has to do with trusting Christ, faith in Christ. We come to that point where we say, you know, Jesus, I can't do this alone. I recognize that I am a sinful person. I need a Savior to deliver me from my sin and reconcile me with God. I recognize that my good works, my religious activities aren't enough. That's the point that we all need to come to. And when we come to that point and we confess that to God and turn our lives over to him, then we are adopted into his family as his sons and his daughters. So it's vital that you trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Theologian J.I. Packer has said that adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. It's the highest privilege. He says it's even higher than justification. It's higher than forgiveness. Because, you know, forgiveness is great. And being reconciled with God is great. And having the righteousness of Christ attributed to our spiritual accounts is great. Those are all truly great things. But he says, and I, 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 I agree with him, that the highest privilege of the gospel is adoption. Being adopted into God's family as his sons and as his daughters with him as our Heavenly Father. John says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. 
You know, maybe you've had a great earthly father who was not perfect, but who loved you well. Perhaps, on the other hand, your father had some major challenges. Perhaps you have some pain from your experience with your father. But the reality is that we can all have the best father of all, namely God the Father. We're going to close our service today with two things to help us to reflect on the heart of our Heavenly Father. First of all, I'm going to pray in just a moment, and then I'll lead us together in praying the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer is a great reminder of the privilege that we have of coming to God as Father. So we'll pray the Lord's Prayer. And then we're going to close with a song called The Blessing. The Blessing is based on a passage from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And, and that passage contains the fatherly heart of God about how he loves us, how he wants to bless us, and he wants to bless us with his presence. So we'll close in those two ways, praying the Lord's Prayer and then singing the blessing. So I'm going to pray for us right now, um, and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. If you need the words, the words will be on the screen. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for your great love for us, that you've lavished on us, and it is a great love that we do not deserve but it is grace, undeserved, unmerited. And for that, Lord, we say thank you. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. What an incredible privilege that is. And for each one of us, Lord, may we come to you through faith in Jesus, receive you as Lord into our lives, and then rest in you as Father. Lord, please help, help us to have that redefined sense of identity and sense of meaning and sense of wholeness in life that comes from being your sons and your daughters. We confess it's very easy for us to look to all kinds of other things to define us. And we do face challenges in this world, Lord. But we thank you that you are a loving Heavenly Father. And Lord, for those in our midst who are earthly fathers, I pray that you will equip us and empower us to be earthly fathers who reflect your love and your characteristics as a, a perfect heavenly father we know we cannot do that perfectly we thank you for your grace but please empower us to to love our children love those around us well and now father we join our voices together to pray the prayer that our lord jesus taught us saying our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.